The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. Good morning. Romans chapter 2, we're going to spend uh, the next couple minutes reading through this whole passage. Can I encourage you, as Pastor Matt said, let's dwell on this together. Let's spend the time reading together. This isn't a time where we start to get our tithe ready or those other things, but this is a time where we spend time saturating our minds in the Word of God. So let's do that together. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing the goodness of of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impotent heart, treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance will in well-doing seek glory and honor in immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as much as as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just by before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these things having not the law are a law unto themselves, which slew the work, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also being witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law 
and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou art thyself art a guide of the blind, a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery. Thou that abhorrest idol, dost thou commit sacrilege. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, thou breaking the law, dishonorest thy God. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, though you, as it, through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision kept the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it will fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. We'll be in Romans chapter 2 for the duration of our sermon together. Romans chapter 2, and Paul has written this letter from the city of Corinth, and he's writing to the church at Rome, a church he's never been to before, and yet he still has a love for them, a desire to go and be with them, not so that he can be with them only, but so that he could go with them onward in a mission towards Spain. Very reason being because the gospel had transformed his life and he knew that the gospel would transform the lives of other people. You can see it in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 as the thesis for the entire book. So if you're there, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is his thesis. He knows that the gospel will transform lives. For the judgment of God rests upon all sinful men, and that includes every single one of us. All of us are sinners, and God's judgment, His wrath abides upon us. And yet, because of the gospel, God sent Jesus to go to the cross for you and me. And Jesus took the wrath of God upon the cross. God poured out His infinite wrath upon His infinite Son in a space of three hours on the cross. And Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. This is the gospel. That will transform your life. And here is Jesus on the cross in my place where I should have received God's wrath. Instead, Jesus took it. And the only thing that is left for me to do is to trust Him. 
You see it in verse number 16, Romans 1 and 16, is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to salvation to everyone that believeth. And it's not across the board applied, it's not given to everyone that's born, it's given to everyone that believeth. I trust Jesus. So the opposite of trusting is trying. The opposite of trusting is trying. I'll give an illustration of this. So some few years back, uh, we had a family that we were helping here in the church, a uh, family that went through a death. They had a death in the family. And without us knowing, uh, the one lady in the family, she took out a D-NOW to help with family obligations in the middle of house cry. And, and I'll give it to them. The house cry extended much longer than what any of us had expected she took out a DNL, 1,500 kina, and uh, after the funeral was finished and body is buried, weeks go by, yea, even months go by, and I don't know whether she had forgotten or she hoped that it would just go away on its own, but then those loan sharks came asking for payment. If memory serves, I think she was up somewhere in the neighborhood now. She owed somewhere between 20 and 30,000 kina. And if I might just pause there, I think if you've been around here any length of time, you would know where I stand on that. Uh, don't go into debt. And if you think that it's a great idea to make money off of the poor, shame on you. And yet here in that situation, she came back to us as pastoral staff uh, asking for help, and of course, at that amount, there's no way that we as a church are able to help out. And to give a backstory to that, we ended up coming and helping her in terms of going and negotiating with her in front of the police at the Barocco police station. And yet, if we were to take that scenario and just think through in that scenario, if there was someone who was very kind to that lady, and here's the lady in a very difficult situation, 20000 plus, she owes somebody, there's no way she's going to be able to pay that off. Could you just imagine if somebody just out of the kindness of their heart gave a gift and said, here, I'm just going to pay that off for you. Now, could you imagine if that happened? Now, I know that within our society and our, our way of thinking, for the rest of her life, she's going to feel like she owes that person. But let's just say it's just a straight gift. I want to help you. I don't want you to have to carry this debt. I want you to be blessed. And that would be a gift. We might call that grace. Completely undeserved, just a complete gift, and it takes care of all of that debt. Let's say some weeks go by, and now all of a sudden that lady starts to thinking about, but I, I, I owe that. Now, it was a gift. She doesn't owe it. But yet in her heart, she thinks she owes it. And so then she goes and she gets the fridge and she sells the fridge on Facebook Corner Market. And maybe she sells some dishes and the bed sheets and the children. <laughs> She's selling everything. 1,000 kina here, 200 kina there. That kid's only worth 20 toya. Off she goes. <laughs> right? Trying to pay off all those denials. And yet, the denial was already paid off. Do you follow me? The opposite of trusting is trying. 
Now, bring that thought into the grace of God as He has given us Jesus Christ. All I have to do is trust Him. But the opposite of trusting is trying. And so what do I do if I'm trying? I'm trying to get His favor. And yet, He says, I've already given my favor. And so when He sees, as it were, if He sees me selling my fridge and selling the dishes so that I can try to gain His favor, it shows that I'm not trusting. And the problem with us trying is it shows that we don't understand how much we owed. Because there's no way you'll ever pay off this debt. And that's the very reason that Paul writes out Romans chapter 2. Because the judgment of God rests upon every single one of us and there is no way that you could ever work your way out of it. And so what he's going to do, last week we saw in chapter 1, verse 18 to the end of the chapter, we saw his wrath was abiding on those who continued to turn their back on him. But then in chapter 2, he's going to develop even even further. It's not just those who turn their back on him. It's those who think that they're doing pretty well along at the same time. Look at this in in chapter 2. He's going to give us a number of times he's going to tell us about the judgment of God. Let me show you a couple of different ways. Verse number 2, he shows us how he's going to judge. Verse number 6, verse number 16. Let me point them out to you. Verse number 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is, and here's your words, according to truth. He's going to judge according to truth. Then verse number 6, he says it again. He will render to every man according to his deeds. So if you want to know how God's going to judge, he's outlining it. He's telling us exactly how He's going to judge. He's going to judge according to truth. He's going to judge according to your deeds. And verse number 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's not multiple gospels. Paul just says, this is the gospel that I'm carrying. And according to the gospel, He's going to judge. I will outline for you this morning four different places. There's one more that comes in verse 17 to the end of the chapter, but He doesn't use the word according to, so difficult to point that out. But He does outline for us in this chapter four different ways that God judges. And by the way, His judgment is always perfect. You'll never slip around the side. He uses a righteous scale. You'll never be able to bribe Him. You won't be able to appeal His judgment. You cannot... Hope for a hung jury. You will not be able to perjure yourself. And it does not help to grab a defense attorney. He judges right every single time. So let's see the first one. How does God judge? I can see it in verses 2 to verse 5. I'll read those verses. We'll see Him judge according to truth. Verse number 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so God's judgment, number one, is according to truth, not according to your imagination. God's judgment is according to truth, not according to your imagination. I see man having his own imagination. Paul outlines it in these verses. Man has his own imagination, thinks that God will judge the way that man wants God to judge. 
And God says, no, I judge according to truth. My scales are balanced. I judge according to truth. Man attempts in many different ways to make up his own justice system. And I see in verse number 3, man trying to make up his own justice system. Let me show it to you. I think that I can make up my own justice system. This is in verse number 3. Do you think, thinkest thou this? Do you think, O man, you can judge them that do bad things, and you too, you do the same bad things, and you can escape the judgment of God? Do you think you get to make up your own justice system with God? The answer is absolutely not. And yet man attempts many different ways. And we might even say from religion, some terms like purgatory, that's man making up his own justice system. You won't find that in Scripture, clean pia, emino stop. You won't find those. Here's what man says with that type of mentality. Here's what man says. Yes, I'm a bad person, but I'm not really, really bad. Therefore, because I'm only a bad person, not terribly bad, then I've just got to go somewhere where I'll clean up my acts and eventually God will bring me into eternal paradise. And that's nowhere in Scripture. That is completely man-made. It's not God's justice system. The opposite of that might be we call annihilationism. In other words, uh, God just knows that you weren't good enough, and instead of punishing you in hell forever, He just wipes you out. So when you die, you're just done away with. That's as heretical as purgatory, for that does not come from Scripture either. And there's another one that is gaining popularity in the last 20, 30 years, and it's coming out this way, in the end, it sounds like this, in the end, love wins. And the, other, the idea behind that is that God might send you for punishment for a little while, but in the end, He'll show you His love and you won't be able to push back against it, so then eventually you'll come back to Him. Even though you've been in eternal punishment, you've now gotten a free pass out because you've now been overcome by His love. Again, heretical. It's not in Scripture. Man does not get to, by his own imagination, make up what God does for justice. God's judgment is according to truth. I think if we were to take a moment and think about how we apply this idea within our own society. Uh, have you ever seen a highway truck? I, I want to ask, how many people have seen a highway truck turned over? How many people have seen a highway truck turned over? There we go. If you've not seen one, open your eyes. The time is coming. <laughs> A combination of crazy drivers and potholes will give you overturned highway trucks. And it doesn't take long for us to realize when a highway truck turns over, what happens? If that highway truck turns over in the middle of the city, I'll give you 15 minutes before it's empty. If it's in the middle of the jungle, on the highway between point A and point B, and there's not a village within 100 miles, that highway truck turns over, maybe it's not 15 minutes, give it 25 minutes, and it'll still be empty. <laughs> People will come out of nowhere, and I've seen it, it's ice cream, it's 20 kgs of rice, it's diesel coming out of the side of the truck, I've seen it happen. It doesn't matter, people will figure out how to take that stuff off that highway truck. Now, let's be honest, that is still sin. 
And yet, within our society, we have somehow built our own justice system that says, well, because that is people that are poorer taking those things that they need, it's not so bad. You don't get to make up that justice system. God's justice system is right every time. You don't get to say, well, because there's an insurance company that will pay for that, or because it was the company's fault because they didn't fix the brakes, or because it was the government's fault because they didn't seal the road properly. You don't get to say that. The moment you put your hand to take something that is not yours, you are sinning. And by the way, the very same thing applies to the big man that's in the big house who is meddling with and moving things around in DSIP and gets angry because somebody steals his mobile phone. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what level it's at, and God's judgment will always be according to truth. And in case you think, well, I've never put my hand to a 40-foot container, and I've never lifted somebody's cell phone, and I've never messed around with a DSIP, Jesus just went, went ahead and brought it down to the level where all of us get touched. And he says, if you've looked at your brother and you've gotten angry at him, essentially in your heart you've killed him. You say, but wait a minute, I didn't kill him. No, Jesus said, well, it already happened in your heart because you hated him and you thought to yourself, he's as good as dead to me. And Jesus goes, well, you're a murderer now. So but I never picked up a knife. And Jesus goes, my level of judgment is going to be according to truth. And if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, or if someone punches you in the face, you tell yourself, I have the right because I am my own God, I can punch him back. Have you not said, this is Jesus' word, have you not said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and yet I say to you, turn the other cheek. You see, Jesus' level and his expectation for our life is much higher than what we would place for ourselves. You don't get to pick your own justice system. God's judgment is according to truth, not according to man's imagination. Verse number 4, he gives us another way that man thinks, this would be errantly, mistakenly thinks, Man thinks that God's goodness equals God's approval. Let me show it to you in verse number 4. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Do you despise God's riches in his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? Did you not know that his goodness is meant to lead you to repentance? His goodness is shown in forbearance and long-suffering. And did you not know that that goodness was meant to bring you to repentance? And instead, you look at His goodness and you think, oh, that goodness must be His approval. Because wait, you're mixed up. You're messed up. According to your own imaginations, you're not following God's judgment according to truth. A number of years ago, I sat with a man who had been formerly a pastor, I find myself in some interesting situations because of doing counseling with folks. And here was a man who had been a pastor in previous years, and then he would say he'd backslidden. At some point, he would have even said, left the faith. And he was out of church, out of fellowship with the church for a number of years. My memory, somewhere around eight to ten years, he'd been out of the church and then he started coming back into church. And I remember sitting with him. He'd been back in church for about two to three weeks. Sat down with him, had a cup of coffee. 
And in that initial conversation, he said to me, here he's been back in church for two, three weeks, and he says to me, Pastor, I really believe that I'm supposed to be back into the pulpit. I'm supposed to be back into preaching. And I asked him this question. I said, well, I'm glad that you have that desire, and yet 1 Timothy 3 is very clear that if there's a desire, there should also be a lifestyle that matches that. And so my question was, your lifestyle, while you've been away, is there things that have happened that would keep you from being a pastor or a preacher? And his response was, if there were things that had happened, God would have killed me. I think a lot of us think that way. A lot of us think, well, I committed adultery, but God didn't strike me dead, so he must be okay with it. Or I did that sin and nothing ever happened, so I must be okay. God must not, that one must not be too bad. God's goodness, his long suffering, verse number four says, is meant to bring you to repentance. It's not his stamp of approval. Don't think because God didn't smite me, then I'm okay. No, he didn't smite you because he's a long-suffering God and he's been waiting and he's been holding back his wrath. But his judgment is according to truth. And when he unleashes his judgment, oh, look out. Friend, his judgment is according to truth, not according to your imagination. We'll come to number two, verses six down to verse 11. I won't take the time to unpack verses six to 11. If you're a student of the word, I might encourage you to take some time to Look at verses 6 to 11, and I'll use a word if you've gone to Bible school and you understand the word chiasm. Verses 6 to 11 is a chiasm. Uh, But verse 6 to 11 points out to us the fact that God's judgment is according to truth, number one. And number two, it's according to your deeds. According to your deeds. So let's see it. Verse 6. God will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of God of persons with God. So this is according to your deeds, not according to your family lineage. And you can see it's not according to your family lineage because twice he has now said, verse number 9 and verse number 10, he says, if you're doing good, the response from God is going to be the same. doesn't matter, you're Jew or Gentile. You're doing bad, the response is going to be the same. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And so his judgment is not according to your family lineage. If I can bring that to 2021 language, it does not matter that dad went to church and grandpa was a pastor. That doesn't make any difference. God will judge according to your deeds. You see it in verse 6. He will render to every man according to his deeds. And if you have a father who was wicked and far from God, you can be thankful that God does not judge you according to your father's deeds. He will judge you according to your deeds. There's no nepotism or one-talk system with God. He doesn't care who your daddy is. Let me give this statement, and I think it's very important, especially for our young people, to hear this. What you do in this life will directly impact your eternity. 
What you do in this life will directly impact your eternity. Remember how very long eternity is. Eternity is forever. Do I have to do this? Forever and ever and ever and ever. You, you figuring out how long it is? Compare that to the brevity, how short this life is. And yet, God has established it so that what you do in this life will directly impact your eternity. And so if you live right for God in this life, that will impact your eternity. Look at the words he uses in verse number uh, 7 and verse number 10. Verse number 7. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. So if you do that, if you're seeking for glory and honor and immortality, you're looking for Him, what will you gain? Eternal life. Then verse number 10, he says it again. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. So you do right, there's going to be an eternal, everlasting reward that comes along with that. Now, you might, if you're a student of the Word, you might be saying, but hang on a second, Pastor. I thought that my salvation is not based upon my works. And you're very right. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the judgment of God upon the deeds of men. So you do right, you will be rewarded. You do wrong, you will be rewarded. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. He's not talking about your salvation here. He's talking about... The deeds that you do in this life will directly impact your eternity. You see the negative in verses 8 and 9. Unto them that are contentious. You go start in fights and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Here's what you'll get. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. You don't get to sow wheat and then pull up tares. You don't sow tares and get wheat. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And employees, serve as unto the Lord. And neighbors, esteem others better than yourselves. And friend, trust Jesus for the salvation of your soul. And yet there is none righteous. You see, the judgment of God is according to truth. It's according to your deeds. Let's see number three. It's according to the gospel. Number three. Verse number 12 to verse 16 gives us this portion. Verse number 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, there's a parenthesis that starts verse 13, so I'm going to skip the parentheses. I'll come back to it. The parentheses goes from verse 13 to verse 15. The end of verse 15, you can see the back end of it. Let me read verse 12, and I'll jump straight to verse 16. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so I see here that we are, the judgment of God will be according to the gospel, and it will not be according to your knowledge, what you knew, or more appropriately, what you didn't know. 
For some people might say, but God, I didn't know. I didn't have any idea. And he's going to tell you, yeah, you did. You did have an idea. I gave that knowledge to every single person. And for the Jews, I gave it to them with the law. And to the Gentiles, I gave it to them with a conscience. Now let me show that to you. Verses 13, 14, and 15. Verse 13. This is the parentheses. And this is supporting material that helps us to see this. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And so here he tells us that the Gentiles may not have received the law, but yet God gave as it were, gave them the law within their own conscience. And and brothers, I think that we can see this even within our 800 tribes here. Go to the remotest tribe and you will find it is still, they might not call it sin, but you would say, Tambu, Lukiliamain. Am I right? Tambu, Lukisimeriblunaplai. Am I right? And yet, they didn't get the law. Right? They never had that law. Sorry, my English speakers. They never had that law, but yet they still had it. They, they knew it was wrong to kill people. They knew it was wrong to commit adultery. They knew that, and yet nobody had ever passed that to them. Why? Because God had given it to them within their conscience. And here He gives this to us. It doesn't matter. You're Jew, and He gave it to you on a stone tablet, or you're a Gentile for the rest of the world. We got it in our conscience. He gave it to us. And the very fact that we follow that law, it becomes a law to ourselves, even though it's just a law in a conscience. Written, as it were, in the softness of our hearts. And he says he's going to judge you according to the gospel. And so the gospel is, you are a sinful person and you are in need of a Savior. So what did you do with the Savior? That's what it comes down to. When His judgment comes clear and it comes right and it's 100% perfect, it will not be me standing before God and saying, well, I never got to stand at Mount Sinai. I never went to a temple. He's going to say, no, your conscience condemns you. You are a sinful man in need of a Savior. And what have you done with the Gospel? Number four, verse 17 to the end of the chapter, I see that His judgment is according to reality and not according to religion. His judgment is according to reality and not according to religion. See verse number 17. Behold, thou art a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And as I read this passage, he's speaking, as it were, he's speaking to a Jewish person, but I think that really is is an argument. He's bringing a, a, a fictitious Jewish person to the front so that he can set up an argument. And so don't think, oh, he's writing to a Jewish person. This is, he's, he's making an argument. He's saying, hey, even the Jewish person might say this as their argument. So here's what he's saying. You, you call yourself a Jew and you rest in the law and you make your boast of God, verse 18, and knowest His will and approvest the things which are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. You think you're an instructor, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law? You might remember back in 
our study in the book of Luke, you might remember what it was that a Jewish man would pray when he woke up in the morning. To this day, still praise it. Thank you, God, that I am not. You remember what they were? I'm not a dog, I'm not a woman, and I'm not a Gentile. The three things that a Jewish man would pray, still praise today. Sorry, ladies. But here he is, thankful that he's received the law. Thankful that he's been elevated in God's sight. And here Paul goes, but wait a second. Those are not the things that God takes delight in. He says, you think that you are an instructor of the foolish. You think that you are a teacher of babes. And you've got some form of knowledge. He goes, wait a second. According to reality and not according to religion is God going to judge. Verse 21. Thou therefore that teaches another, do you not teach yourself? You preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written, for circumcision verily profiteth, if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. The very things for the Jewish people that they took so much pride in, their outward marks, God says, those outward marks of your religion are worthless because your inward heart is nowhere near me. He continues on in verse number 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee? by the letter and circumcision and circumcision does transgress the law. The very fact that Gentiles were following the law was, as it were, knocking down the Jewish testimony. Those Jewish people in their robes and all of their ceremonial following of the law. And Paul goes, wait a second. All of that and your heart is so far away from God, don't you realize that the people over here on this side, these Gentile people that don't know anything about all of that ceremony, the very fact that they're coming to God through Jesus is just doing away with you. Knocking you off to the side. So then he makes this statement in verse 28 and 29. He is not a Jew that's one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In other words, God has cut away within their heart and taken them and made them into a people for himself. And that doesn't have to be a Jewish person. Yea, he has brought in us who are Gentiles. I think a modern way of saying this, if we were to say it again, 2021 language, just because you screen printed, I love Jesus, onto your shirt or onto your hat does not make you a follower of Jesus. And just because you go to church on Sunday morning faithfully does not mean that you are right with God. Or because you got baptized, or maybe because you give out gospel tracts, or maybe because you invite friends, or perhaps you say, I'm a fill in the blank denomination, I'm a United Church, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Baptist. That doesn't make you right with God. For God does not sit at His judgment seat and say, well, this one, that's a Baptist, I'll take him. No, His judgment is according to reality. 
And there's a problem. The problem being, your heart is still far from God. I believe that describes every single one of us. So let me bring you back to verses 1 and verse 5. And we'll conclude with a thought from verses 1 and verse 5. Verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. If we use God's scale, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a single thing that you can point at another person that you yourself are not doing already. So you're inexcusable. Now don't fall into the trap where some would say, well, Jesus said, don't judge. No, he didn't say that. He said, judge not lest you be judged by the very same scale upon which you are judging. There's nothing wrong to judge as long as you're not the one that's also participating. And he says here in verse number 1, you are inexcusable, whoever thou art that judgest, for while you're judging someone else and you're condemning them, you're also condemning yourself because you're doing the very same thing you're condemning them of doing. Verse number 5. What happens when this is going on? Verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart. Impenitent would be the opposite of repentant. I repent and I turn from my sin and I come to God. I'm turning away, changing my way of thinking towards God, and I'm going to come to Him in submission. Instead, my hard, impenitent heart, I love my sin. What we saw last week, I love my sin so much that I enjoy it when other people do sin with me. And he says, you've got that hard, impenitent heart. Here's what's happening. You treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You might remember last week I closed with the illustration of the Hoover Dam. You can just imagine that Hoover Dam as it holds back all of that water. How foolish would it be if you knew that at any point that dam could break? How foolish would it be for you to stand up there with a cup of water and pour it into the heavy side? And yet, he says, that's exactly what you do with your hard, impenitent heart before God. As you and I see that He will judge according to our deeds, and He will judge according to truth, and He will judge according to all that is right. He's 100% perfect. And yet, I stand there and I continue to pour more of His wrath behind the dam as I continue to sin. And he goes, oh, you are a fool. You don't add to it. Don't treasure up to yourself His wrath. Those are the words that are used. In your heart, you treasure up wrath against the day that He reveals His wrath. As I think about this attribute of God, the wrath of God, it's not something we speak of often. When you compare the attributes of God, we talk about His omniscience and how he knows everything and his omnipotence and how he can do all things and nothing stops him. And one of his attributes is his wrath. His anger is one of the attributes of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I shared this with Faith Family this last Wednesday night, but I think it really fits here. I don't know if you think about the attributes of God as if perhaps he's 21% love, 9% 9% wrath, 17% powerful. No, he's 100% all of his attributes. 
So he's 100% wrath, and he's 100% love, and he's 100% merciful, and he's 100% gracious. He's 100% of every single one of them, and every single one of those attributes is perfect. So he's perfect in his wrath. In other words, when he's angry, he does not sin in his anger. His anger is perfect. And yet, he's slow in his anger. And this, I'll, I'll, give, I'll share a verse as we close. But this verse, I think, is one of many, because there are many verses like this throughout the Scriptures. So here's from Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he says. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now here's the words. Slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. So here's what I want you to grasp. His anger, His wrath is 100% perfect. And His wrath is something that you and I should be terrified of. And yet, remember, He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. He's slow to release His wrath. Don't heap up more of it. Don't hoard wrath of God. Instead, come to Him and cling to Him and beg for His mercy, for He is quick to mercy. He is full of grace. And so, when His wrath should be poured out, instead He holds it back and it's as it were paining Him that He needs to pour it out. And yet, in the very moment that a person comes to Him to trust Him, oh Jesus, I come pleading for Your mercy. Oh, there is no waiting on that. He doesn't hold back His mercy and say, well, let's see how much You really mean it. No, He just floods your soul with mercy. Oh, know that He is slow to wrath. But don't take advantage of it. For there's coming a day when He will pour it out. Father, I pray this morning that we would see the attribute of the wrath of God clearly revealed in Romans chapter 2. I pray that we would not despise the goodness of God that was intended to lead us to repentance. Oh, the gospel will transform our lives. And yet I pray, Father, this morning that we would not turn our backs on a merciful Savior. I think I would do wrong this morning if I did not close with an invitation. So I might just give a short invitation this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I know that God's wrath abides upon me. And I know that I need to put my trust in Christ. I'd like to do that this morning. Could someone show me from Scripture how I can put my trust in Christ? Would you raise your hand? I'll have somebody come to you. Overflow. If you guys can take care of that, their pastoral staff and overflow. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. I know that God's wrath abides upon me. And I know there's nothing I will ever hide from God. And I'd like to be right with Him today. Is there one like that? Just raise your hand. We'll have somebody come take you off to the side. Anybody like that? Oh, Father, thank you for being slow to wrath. Full of mercy. Your kindness unending. And so this morning as we meditate on the wrath of God, the anger of God, Father, we relish 
the mercy of God. So thankful for your grace upon our lives. May your name be glorified this week as we say to others, Behold our God, seated on his throne high and lifted up. We don't deserve his grace, but thank you for it. It's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.